Hey, good morning, Cedar Mill family. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And my name is Bethany. I am the pastor to women here. And we're thrilled to be with you this morning as we continue our series in the book of Psalms. And I don't know about you, but I adore the Psalms. But this morning, we're going to have a little fun, and we're going to start just a bit different. I'm going to test your Bible knowledge with a few questions. I'm going to test your Bible oh, knowledge with a few questions. Oh, this is going to be great. All right. So question number one. What is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible? What is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible? Do I have to say like what is and then say the answer? No, that's Jeopardy. Okay. You don't have to do that. Okay, I'm going to go with Jesus wept. Shortest. Mm. Shortest verse. Verse. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking it. for the shortest chapter. The shortest chapter in all the Bible is Psalm 117. Okay. Okay. So second question. What is the longest chapter in the entire Bible? The longest chapter. I'll give you a second to think about that. I am going to go, yeah, I'm going to go with Psalm 119. Correct. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. So if Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter and Psalm 119 is the longest chapter, what is the middle chapter in the entire Bible? Meaning there's 594 chapters on this side and 594 on that side. Okay, that was a pretty good setup. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go with Psalm 118 for 200. That's right. You got it right. <laughs> Correct. Psalm 118. And friends, that is where we're going to be this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 118. And again, if you're having a hard time finding it, remember, it's in the middle. So if you just let your Bible flop open, you're going to probably be pretty close. Mm -hmm. Now, before we pray and we read God's word, there's a couple things we need to be aware of about Psalm 118. First, Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving. So far in our series, we've looked at a wisdom psalm. We've looked at a psalm of adoration. We've looked at a psalm of lament. But Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And we don't actually know who penned or authored Psalm 118. But a plain reading of the text uh, leads us to believe that it was a king that's experienced some military mm -hmm. success. But the second thing we need to be aware of about Psalm 118, and far more significant, is that Psalm 118 is the last hymn Jesus ever sang. The, the Jewish people had a group of psalms or hymns that they would sing at festivals, including Passover. Mm -hmm. And those psalms, that group of psalms, were known as the Egyptian Hallel. And they included Psalm 113, Psalm 114, Psalm 115, the short Psalm 117, and finished here with Psalm 118. So when the Gospels tell us that when Jesus was in the upper room mm -hmm. and decided it was time to go, go to the garden, go to the cross, the Gospels tell us that Jesus and his disciples stood and they sang a hymn. Mm -hmm. And friends, this is the hymn they sang, Psalm 118. So as we read God's word, we always want to prepare our ears to listen and our hearts to receive what God has to tell us. But I encourage you this morning, friends, to really take time to dwell on and reflect on what it was like for our Savior mm. to sing these words as he knew he was heading to the cross to mm. suffer the just punishment for our sins. But before we read God's word, let's go ahead and pray together. Mm. Father, we come before you this morning. Mm. We desire for our ears to be open and our hearts to be soft and ready to receive what you have for us today from your word. Yet, Lord, specifically with this psalm, Psalm 118, Father, we ask that you reveal to us all that you would have us learn about your son, 
and about your steadfast love mm. for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Mm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. That is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Mm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Friends, it's so powerful. Isn't it powerful to think of our Savior singing these words? Singing those final words, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. As he stood up and headed out to face the cross. Powerful. It's powerful. Mm. Um, I love, you know, in Tim and Kathy Keller's um, mm. Psalm devotional, yeah. one of the things they say is that, um, that the Psalms were actually Jesus's songbook, right? His hymns that he would sing. Mm. And yet they were also about him. Mm. And I just, I love that. And I love just picturing him standing there singing so this. It's just, yeah, beautiful. Mm. Um, so there's so much here in this psalm. Um, in fact, there's so much that I had never known or seen until we started digging into it just a few weeks ago and really studying it. And it's just um, so powerful. But um, this morning, we want to focus in on three things mm. that this psalm teaches us. 
and what we learn from this psalm. Um, and we want you to see how this psalm teaches us about the love that will not let us go. And it's this love that doesn't let us go that moves the psalmist to sing and also to exhort um, everyone else, all the people, to worship God alongside him. And then secondly, we want to look at how this psalm teaches us that we can be free from the fear of man. And I love how the psalmist says, um, like, if God is, is for me or if God is with me, like, what can man do to me? It's almost like a taunt, Amen. almost. Yeah. And I just love that. He dismisses how other people can have any power over him. And then finally, we want to look at how this love, this steadfast love, is the love that saves us. Mm -hmm. And the psalmist more than once talks about how God saved him. God is his salvation. Mm -hmm. So first, um, let's look at this love that will not let us go. The psalmist begins in the very, very beginning with give thanks to the Lord. And why? For he is good. Yeah. And it's God's goodness that moves the psalmist to give thanks and to invite all the fellow worshipers to join him. And then the psalmist hones in on a very specific aspect of God's goodness. And that is that his steadfast love endures forever. Mm -hmm. And we see that truth four times at the beginning of the psalm. Um, and so I just want you to picture this scene with me. You have the priest who's standing in front of all of the people, and he cries out or sings loudly, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then he would call on the house of Aaron, mm -hmm. and they would respond with, his steadfast love endures forever. And then he would turn and say again loudly, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then he would call on all the priesthood of Israel, and they would respond with, his steadfast love endures forever. And then finally, he would call on all the people. Hmm. He would invite all of them who fear God to respond, and he would say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And it would just be like thunder. They would just erupt with, his steadfast love endures forever. Hmm. And this cry of thanksgiving is sung throughout the Psalms particularly these psalms of thanksgiving. In fact, if you flip ahead to Psalm 136, mm -hmm. I believe it says his steadfast love endures forever, like 26 times. So why is this phrase so mm -hmm. significant? What is it that is so powerful or so mm -hmm. special that it needs to be repeated over and over again? And what does the psalmist mean by God's steadfast love? Well, first, the Hebrew word, for the steadfast love is the word hesed. And you can say it with me if you want from home. It's kind of fun to say. Um, you have to pronounce it with like a guttural sound like hesed. In fact, you asked the trivia questions. Uh, okay. Why don't you teach us how oh, to say wonderful. it? Hesed. <laughs> That's good. That's my best shot. Okay, good. Um, so the meaning of hesed, though, is actually really hard to translate in our English language because we don't have an English word for this type of love that will do it justice. Um, it's not this warm and fuzzy, you know, sentimental type of love that we see and um, are comfortable with in our culture. And you can't say, like, I hesed salt and straw ice cream, right? It, it just doesn't work. It's much deeper than that, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but the most common translation for hesed is loving kindness. 
Um, but there are other words, covenant love, loyal love. Um, some scholars refer to it as mercy, faithfulness, favor, devotion, loyalty. Mm. Um, and hesed is used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's love. In fact, I believe it's used like 246 mm. times. Um, and it is used when God rescues his people mm. out of slavery and into the Exodus. Mm. And he makes a promise to them saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. He makes a covenant with them that's basically saying, I promise to love you forever. I'm making that commitment regardless of how you love me in return. Now, for those of you who have um, children or grandchildren um, and have read the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have it on Audible and listen to it without the kids. Um, but the author describes God's love, his has said, as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, which is a pretty good, accurate translation of the word has said. And now the whole psalm, the entire psalm is sung with this understanding of God's love. And it's not long after God pledges this love to his people and rescues them from Egypt that the people of Israel reveal that they are not steadfast in their love of God. They complain and they rebel against him. Um, not just one time, but many times. In fact, they even create another god, a golden calf, if you'll remember, um, to worship instead of the one true God. And yet shortly after, they essentially spit in God's face and create another god to worship. God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai, and he reveals to Moses who he is, um, and he reveals his character to him in Exodus 34. And he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed, or steadfast love, and faithfulness, keeping hesed for thousands, hmm. forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty because he's perfectly just. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And God mentions his steadfast love or his said twice when describing his own character and revealing who he is to Moses. And his loving kindness, his covenant love, this never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love is a love that would not let them go. Despite their failures, uh, despite their shortcomings, despite their um, sin, despite the fact that they created a whole nother God in his place and worshiped this golden calf, his love was persistent and unmovable, and he refused to wash his hands of them. And I just want to take a moment just to really think about that love, like just let that sink in, that it's persistent and unmovable. And um, regardless of whatever they did, he still was committed and still had made a promise to love them. And if you are his child, 
if you belong to him, if you have made a decision to follow him, he is your God, then that love is for you. Hmm. No matter how we fall short, um, he refuses to just wash his hands of us. And you just left that. I, I know that I need that, um, hmm. especially for all of us. At some point, we discover that in this world, um, we will be let down. Mm. That other love will disappoint. Mm. And it, um, just knowing this has said type of love, this love, this steadfast love that he loves us with, just moves us to worship, just as it moved the psalmist mm. to give thanks and worship him. And it causes the psalmist to sing mm. and to invite others to do the same and to sing loudly. And this love is what makes the house of Aaron sing mm. and all the priests and everyone who fears God. In the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, which I love that passage, he um, says this in 835, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, this type of love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God mm. that is in Christ Jesus awesome. our Lord. So his steadfast love is it's enduring, it's forever. And if you are his child, he will never let you go. You will never be separated from this love, from this never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that, my friends, is a reason for us to give thanks. Beautiful. Awesome. And friends, this steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord can free us from something that for many of us can bind us our entire lives. Whether we're conscious of it or not, uh, it can cause insecurity and anxiety and stress. But look with me again real quickly at verses 7 through 9. Mm -hmm. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now, friends, I want to focus specifically on verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. What does that phrase mean, than to trust in man? Well, according to Tim Keller, this verse in this chapter, better than to trust in man, means to build our lives on the approval of other people. Mm -hmm. Now, Scripture calls that the fear of man. And again, it's not the same type of fear that my kids feel when they see a spider or I feel every time I'm high on a ladder. The fear of man means to give awe or mm -hmm. reverence to the opinions of other people about you. Mm. Biblical counselor and professor Ed Welch says, the fear of man means that you depend on people. You depend on their opinions. You depend on their approval. You depend on their presence as a source of life and happiness to you. Mm. Friends, King Solomon in Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man sets a snare. 
And it sets a snare because we get caught in the cycle of seeking the approval of other human beings, which is an ever-changing standard. Mm. Now, I remember being a freshman in high school, and I really, really, really wanted the older guys on the basketball team, the juniors and the seniors, to think I was cool. And as I reflected on it this week, I thought I probably would have done just about anything they asked me to do in order to get their approval. But then one day, the call came. One of the older guys called and invited me to the Guns N' Roses concert <laughs> at the Memorial Coliseum in Portland. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm cool now. I'm not, I used to be uncool. I'm cool now. But friends, no sooner had I hung up the phone and I hadn't even gotten the full phrase and roses out of my mouth. <laughs> and my parents said, you're not going. And I remember thinking, how did I go from uncool to cool to uncool again all within 60 seconds. I remember for weeks being really down, and then I thought, there's another way to get their approval. I noticed, and again, I don't know why all the guys in 1993 in Salem, Oregon liked cardigan sweaters. You know those sweaters <laughs> that have the buttons here because it's too hard to pull a sweater over your head? But they did, and I thought, if I can get myself a cardigan sweater, they're gonna approve of me and think I'm cool. And then Christmas came, and I got my cardigan sweater. I know you're really bummed out right now that you missed out on the cardigan I totally am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but friends, I got that cardigan sweater, and it was like within two weeks, cardigans were out. I think they were replaced by like sweater vests or something. <laughs> but I never remember as a freshman ever feeling like I was cool or I had gotten the approval of these mm -hmm. guys. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's how it is for teenagers. For a lot of mm -hmm. us in high school, that's how it is. But friends, the reality is we don't ever really grow out of the fear of man. Mm -hmm. We just go about seeking the approval of other people in different ways. Maybe we tend anxiously to our social media presence so that people think we have a great life. Mm -hmm. Maybe we work endless hours so that we can buy material things so we can keep up with the Joneses and people, our friends and our family think that we're successful. And what about dieting? I know we all say we diet for our health, but the diet companies and their marketers know that's not the case. They don't say, hey, do our diet and your cholesterol will get better. Or, try our diet and your blood pressure will go down. They say, try our diet and you'll lose all this weight and you can wear this tiny black dress to your high school reunion. Mm -hmm. Friends, they know it's about looks that we want to impress people. And the examples are endless. And some of them are kind of funny and silly. But the reality is the fear of man takes a serious turn, or it can. It takes a serious turn when a brother or sister in Christ needs someone to speak truth and love to them, but we're unwilling to do it even though we know what they need to hear because we're afraid they may not like us. It takes a serious turn when we know that God is calling us to live radically in some way, maybe go overseas to be a missionary, Maybe welcome people into our lives or into our homes that make our lives messy, but we're concerned about what family and friends will think. Mm -hmm. And it probably takes the most serious turn of all when we're unwilling to share with people what they need to hear most, mm -hmm. the good news of Jesus and the Absolutely. gospel, mm -hmm. because we're afraid they might think that we're odd or strange or not mm -hmm. approve of us when we share our faith with them. Mm -hmm. But brothers and sisters, we're not alone in this fear of man. We see it throughout scripture. Just a few examples in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, King Saul, mm. and in the New Testament, Peter. 
who was so afraid of the opinions of a young slave girl that he was willing to deny his savior. And of course, we see it in the Pharisees. Jesus railed against the Pharisees endlessly because they desired the glory of man more than the glory of God. In fact, it was the, the reality that Jesus did not care about the approval of men that confused the Pharisees the most about Jesus. Mm. And Jesus didn't care about the approval of man. When we see in Matthew 22, the, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. But in verse 16, they actually end up saying something true about him. They say, teacher, you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Mm. But friends, Jesus did not care about the approval of men. Mm. Why? Well, let's think about his baptism real quickly. Remember, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and the Father, his Father, spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Brothers and sisters, Jesus rested fully and confidently in the steadfast love of his Father. But here's the good news. Mm. As, because of Jesus, we are also God's adopted sons and daughters. Mm. And so we can rest confidently in that our Father's steadfast love for us. Mm-hmm. Friends, do you realize right now, as you're home, alone in your apartment, or in your home mm-hmm. during this time, unable to do a lot of the things that you would get affirmation for from other people, that the Father looks at you and you're His beloved, mm-hmm. that He sings over you? Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters, we can rest and be freed from the snare of the fear of man when we just rest confidently in our Father's steadfast love. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> I need to hear that. Mm. Finally, the psalm teaches us um, about the love that, mm. that saves us. Mm. The fact that God saves his people is probably the most obvious theme in this psalm. We see in verse... 5 through 18, um, how the psalmist, likely a king, like you mentioned, um, was in distress. So we see that in verse 5. And then he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord answers him and sets him free in verse 6. And then he talks about his enemies like surrounding him and pushing him back in verse 13. And then in 14, we see how God saves him, and he says, God is my salvation. And then right after that, 15 and 16, it talks about how the right hand of God does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. And if we jump to the last or towards the end in verse 28, he sings, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. I will extol you. In those verses I just mentioned, 14, 15, 16, and 28, reach back to the song that Mm. Moses sang on the other side Mm. of the Red Sea when God miraculously rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. In fact, one of those verses is a direct quote um, from what Moses sang after crossing the Red Sea with the freed Israelites. So even though the psalmist is praising God for this current victory, he's doing something so much more profound. He's praising God for the greatest act of salvation up until this point in time, the rescue and exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And what makes this rescue so amazing and worthy of them singing about it to remember is that the people of Israel were utterly helpless to save themselves. 
So they had no weapons, they had no army, they had no power. Uh, Pharaoh even killed all of their baby boys, so they had no future army that was to come. And all God's people had to do when they were freed was just to walk out. It wasn't anything they did to earn God's love and his rescue. He said, these are my people, they are mine, and I'm done watching them suffer. No wonder they sang of his salvation. No wonder they sang of the steadfast love. But as great as the exodus is or was of God's people in Egypt, it was just a foreshadow of an even greater exodus. It was just a picture of an even greater rescue that we see in the New Testament. So the greatest exodus is not when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, although it's incredible, but when he saved his people from the slavery of sin. Isaiah speaks of this new exodus that is coming when he prophesies, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And as Paul mentioned, Jesus' baptism in the New Testament, Matthew says that the heavens were rent and the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus. So you and I have been given so much more than that first exodus. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, you have been freed from sin and death. You were once dead and now are alive and will not die. And it's not because you've done something remarkable to earn his love, but it's because of his steadfast love that he displayed on the cross for you and for me. It's the fact that you and I are utterly or were utterly helpless to save ourselves like the Israelites, but God in his great mercy and steadfast love, he loved you with that never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love. And so, friends, if you know Jesus, mm. if he is your savior, if you are his follower and you trust him, you have been set free. And that is your story mm. and Beautiful. mine. Thank mm. you. Mm. And friends, we'll, we'll finish quickly with this. By the time that Jesus and the disciples had gone to the upper room, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was already burdened. Between the time that Jesus and the disciples entered the upper room and they left, Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. He had mediated a disagreement between them. He had broken the bread and he, had, he drank the cup. But Jesus realized he could not stay in the upper room forever. The time had come. He knew he was going to head to the garden. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. And he knew that he was going to the cross to suffer the just punishment for our sins. Yet, in the face of all of that, Jesus stood to his feet with his disciples, and he sang this hymn, he sang this psalm that ended, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Friends, it's because of Jesus that no matter what we're facing today, whether it be sickness or financial ruin, or just the dull pain of loneliness because of social isolation, Whatever we are facing, we can say as well, we can proclaim as well, give thanks to the Lord mm. for he is good. His steadfast, steadfast love, love endures, endures forever. forever. Mm. Amen. Mm.